Hello and welcome to Plot Trip. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing To Marry and to Meddle by Martha Waters. This was published in 2022 and is the third in the Regency Vow series. And full disclosure, we did receive an advanced reader copy from Nick Alley. So we have read the first two in the series. We actually read them a year ago when the second one came out. I was going to skip the first one because I didn't like the, the trope, but we couldn't do that. We can't skip the first one in the series. Did we do an episode on it or did we just read it in advance? Oh, no, we did an episode on it. Okay. So if you are interested in hearing what we thought, we have, and so we didn't like the trope. That said, we did end up liking the book more than we expected. Because Martha Waters is excellent. Um, so the first book is called To Have and To Hoax. Yes. And the second book is called... To love and to loathe. Thank you. Um, so if you want to check out previous episodes, those are the first two in this series. Well, what's this book about, Lane? All right, the book jacket. Lady Emily Turner has been a debutante for six seasons now and should have long settled into a suitable marriage. However, due to her father's large debts, her only suitor is the persistent and odious owner of her father's favorite gambling house. Meanwhile, Lord Julian Belfry, the second son of a Marquis, has scandalized society as an actor and owner of a theater, the kind of establishment where men take their mistresses, but not their wives. When their lives intersect at a house party, Lord Julian hatches a plan to benefit them both. With a marriage of convenience, Emily will use her society connections to promote the theater to a more respectable clientele, and Julian will take her out from under the shadows of her father's unsavory associates. But they soon realize that they have very different plans for their marriage. Julian wants Emily to remain a society wife, while Emily discovers an interest in the theater. But when a fleeing actress, murderous kitten, and meddlesome friends enter the fray, Emily and Julian will have to confront the fact that their marriage of convenience comes with rather inconvenient feelings. Couple of critiques, but I do think overall good. Overall good, I think. Problems. Does Emily discover an interest in the theater or just in having something to do? I mean, that's a good question. It's, a, she's, it's an interest in the theater because that's what Julian's doing, but you do get the feeling that she's not passionate about the theater because it's the theater. Um, second thing. I feel like there were a couple, this is, is alluded to in the jacket more than explicitly stated. I feel like there were a couple of like bad guy characters in this that were mm -hmm. underutilized for the amount of mental space they took up. Yeah, like the persistent and odious owner of her father's favorite gambling house. And the guy the actress flees with. Mm-hmm. Like, they're kind of given pages of characterization, sometimes at the same time, and then ultimately don't have that much of a bearing on the plot. That's true, they don't. But, I mean, that doesn't, is that an issue with the book jacket? No, that's why I said it just implies it. No. <laughs> I, I think this book jacket does a very good job. Yeah. It just, because it, it, 
it hits the it hits the two points that we need, right? Right. It introduces the couple and it introduces the trope. This is overall a good jacket. I feel like we're at the point in our podcasting career that we have to criticize it, you know? <laughs> We've seen so many book jackets, we just know. It's fine. Um, all right, so as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50 and used that number as a word count to write our own summaries. And this week, that random number was 39. Meg, would you like to start? Sure. Julian proposes a marriage of convenience to Emily, and since he's the better choice to help her escape her family than her other suitor, she says yes. Unfortunately, the marriage doesn't end up being very convenient for either one. Yes. I'm going to be honest, mine was basically a summary of the actual book jacket, because I thought the book jacket was very good. <laughs> it was very good. I think this gets into... What they both have to learn and give and grow in this book. Yes. She learns a lot about, like, her behavior. Yes. And who she actually is, where he's just working through daddy issues. Yeah. And I feel like in some ways, like, what he agrees to give her is freedom. Right. What she agrees to give him is her good reputation and good name. Mm -hmm. And he can sort of do what he promised inherently. Right. By having a checkbook, whereas her promise actually requires more action. Right. And I just felt like it created a really intriguing imbalance that I don't know I fully thought through. Uh, I, I really liked the conflict of this book. I just thought it was really good. And it, again, brings up, we talk about this a lot, about how we're seeing trends in romance novels. This is the trend that we've talked about several times about, like, the dysfunctional family of origin. Yes. And I think Martha Waters does a really good job of working with this. It, I don't want to call it a trope. It's not really a theme, I guess. She does a really yes. good job of working with this theme because she looks at all parties and how they're all complicit in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think when we have been talking about this theme in the past, this is what's missing. Like, it's always just like, you know, I'm going to escape from this, my bad family. But right. Here you see how both Julian and Emily have this issue to work through. And you're right, they haven't been observers in their own lives and their own problems up to this point. I thought it was really well done and really intriguing, and I think your summary does a good job at alluding to that, even yeah. maybe better than the book jacket, that the concept of this marriage as, like, a solve... Yes. ...gets challenged, but not in the way that's traditional to the trope. Yeah. And I, I, I really, I don't know. I, I just really think, and we've talked about, I have talked about this before, about how I, if you give me a book with good structure, I'm going to love your book. And this book is so well structured. It is. So before we get into that and the other things that make this book great, my 39 word summary. I guess you also have a summary. 
Julian figures out that he wants something from Emily. And because he's never had feelings before, he assumes it's her reputation. Emily's been repressed by her parents, so she's attracted to Julian's lack of rigidity outside the bedroom. Slow, slow clap. That's a really good one. You did a really good job, Lane. I feel like your summary this week was just inspired. I tried to deviate from the jacket because, as you said, the jacket was good. <laughs> yeah, but you did you did a really good job. That's really good. Yeah, I do love I do love a hero who doesn't understand his feelings. Yeah, and I think props to Martha Waters, whose level of angst is super low. I mean, this is a story that in the hands of a different author would have been really tragic. Oh, no kidding. Yes. He's estranged from his father and has to hide his relationships with his siblings. She's like a pawn in her parents' manipulation, potentially being like sold off like a prized goose to someone she is repulsed by. Mm -hmm. There is a Absolutely a romance novel author out there where both of them would have been self-pitying and driven by anger and lashing out. And instead, this book is just fucking cute. Yeah. Well, and you know, you know, in a different book, in the hands of a different author, Julian would have been the, you know, I'm never going to fall in love person. Mm -hmm. And it, he, this whole marriage of convenience would have been based on about how he wants her in his bed, but that's it. And that, I mean, the whole thing could have been you're right just like really like he could have been really mean I think yes or and I mean I've, I, there's versions of this that I've loved but this could have been a okay fine it's a marriage of convenience so what does that mean about our sex life Aaron despair and we go our separate ways or we, we're not having sex or it would have mm -hmm. become a sex contract nope oh, it yeah. doesn't even come up not angsty at all they just assume they're married so they'll be sleeping together but it's not a conversation yeah Prior to agreeing, I was just, it was a, it wasn't like a novel take on the trope or anything, but there were just a lot of ways this could have gotten darker or at least more defensive in terms mm -hmm. of their characterization. And it just never went there at all. Yep. So tropes, as you have guessed, the major trope of this book is marriage of convenience. Yep. It said it in the book jacket, I think twice. Yep. And then mine too. And then Meg's. So. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's Marriage of Convenience, the best. The, I, I do enjoy Marriage of Convenience books. I like them especially when both parties are getting something out of it where they, it really is convenient for them, right? Like they both have goals. I loved this Marriage of Convenience in terms of the reasons they both agreed and the way they communicated about it. However... I would argue the thing that is the best about Marriage of Convenience books, this book did not capitalize on. Oh, and what's that? They are together and married extremely early. So the potential for a lot of sexiness and learning about each other and growing the relationship through sexiness is extremely high because you yeah. don't have to worry about like social conventions and sneaking around. And yeah. this book does not capitalize on the amount of sex they could be having or putting relationship growth in sexy scenes. You are 100% correct. You are absolutely correct. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, yes. I, if I have one criticism 
if I have one criticism of this book, it is that their, their intimate relationship, their sexual relationship wasn't used to show the growth of their, their marriage. Intimacy, emotional connection, growing feelings for one another. Like to a degree, this was a book about like a growing friendship with a sex scene. Yes. And it's a wonderful growing friendship. And because it's a marriage of convenience book, it could have been so much more. But also because it's a marriage of convenience book, the sex scene took place very early. And so that was my other, I don't want to say an issue, but yes, my other part of this has to do with the criticism of the book, right? Missed opportunity. Yes. Because look, the other books in the series are not super sexy either, right? Neither one of them are. However, especially given the second one is a sex bargain. Yeah, the second book is a is a fuck buddy book. Yeah. Um, but it didn't. The lack of sex doesn't. It's not the fact that there's no sex that bothers me. Look, I want to be very clear about this. Like, do I like steamy romance novels? Yes. Do I look? Do I like romance novels that are not steamy? Yes. Also, yes. A book does not have to have a certain number of sex scenes for me to rate it highly. That said, I really think that there should at least have been one more scene either at the very end to show the end of the conflict. I mean, that that would be where I would have placed it. But I think you're getting at something here. Like, the one sex scene that exists on their wedding night was sort of used to show how innately compatible but also still somewhat uncomfortable with one another they were. Right. And I really would have liked to see the physical elements of their relationship growing as their closeness grew. Yes. And instead, there are a couple of makeouts and fade to black, and sort of that is secondary to the plot, not integrated into the plot for the rest of the book. Right. And look, this is going to be probably the only time I ever say this, but let's talk about a book that Lane and I both love, but don't think is like a great book, Devil's Bride. This book is like chock full of sex, okay? But there's a scene at the very end where I think he helps her off of her horse. And she reflects on the fact that in the beginning of their relationship, there would have been this like electric thrill, like this crazy unresolved sexual tension. And now she still thinks he's handsome and she still is very attracted to him, but she's more used to it now. And she's very comfortable with him. This is the one time I'm going to be like, Stephanie Lawrence got it right. Okay. Is that before or after he murdered his cousin? I think it was after. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but no, like, it just, it really, it's a useful tool, especially in the realm of historical romance. Exactly. And I think I really overall enjoyed the hell out of this book. I don't have much to criticize at all. I think the one thing is upon finishing it, I really reflected back and didn't quite overall was thinking like it was cute and feel good, but that there hadn't been as much like depth as I wish there could have been in their relationship. Yeah. And I mean that both euphemistically and not euphemistically. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And one could have solved the other. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Yes, it could have. Uh, okay, what other tropes are present in this book? 
They both have daddy issues. He and his dad aren't speaking, and her dad has basically been manipulating her for the last six years. Her dad is awful. I mean, her parents... Especially because, like, he... But her mother is, like, has a speaking role. Even the scene with her dad being the worst, she's interpreting his silence in her head. Yeah. Uh, I was like, what a dingbat. Seriously. (laughs) This, I mean, God, just the best trip ever for cat lovers. There's the demon cat. Who she thinks is a prince and he thinks is the devil. Uh, And of course, you know that he's really in love with her when he defends the cat. Yep. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I loved it, Lane. I know, because we're cat people. Um, He is a rebellious second son and the black sheep of the family. And, again, props to Martha Waters, any other romance novelist would have killed off his older brother. Oh, right? I know. And this is not a spoiler. His his older brother is never in peril of any kind. No. He has a good relationship with him, but just Martha Waters resists those very cliche, must-have-the-era-we-the-air type things. Yes, and she did that in her first book, too, in the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just such a good job. Good job, Martha, good job. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, she's a debutante who is forced to entertain a gross dude for her dad. We will yep. see this. Have seen it and will see it forever unto eternity in books. Yep, and sometimes it's... You have to marry him to save the family. Sometimes it's he's blackmailing me directly. Sometimes it's like someone who's been grooming her since she was a child and basically purchased her from her father. That's just a very specific example. Um, But yeah, there's lots of different versions. (laughs) This is one of the least angsty ones we've seen. Yeah. Their wedding night is interrupted. I have to admit, I was wondering how long it was going to take them to um, to get there since the first night was interrupted. Here's the thing. It takes a while. Not a while of on-page time. There's a lot of, like, two days later. To the point that I began to wonder if, like, their first time just hadn't made the page. Yeah. Which I would have been okay with. Potentially in some universe. Maybe. Um, But I thought emotionally, if you want to be like, okay, they're on the road and they're in his sister's house, so they're just avoiding it. But the stated reason in the book is because she wanted to sleep with the cat. (laughs) And I did roll my eyes a little at that one. Slightly. I mean, we may be cat people, but we're not that, that much of cat people. Also, like... You find an hour or so and you lock the cat somewhere else. You're not with it 24 hours a day. Yeah. And I mean, she's very attracted to Julian. I just found it really unbelievable that that was... I I kind of wish Martha Waters had done a, like, reflection from her perspective that she was using the cat as a shield. Yeah, but yeah. But it's not like the she'd been eager the first night. So, like, if she suddenly developed apprehension, there would have needed to be a character reason why. Yeah. Anyway. It was funny, but it was a little bit like, come the fuck on. Yeah. And this whole series is a found family thing. She does. Martha Waters does such a good job with 
friendships in general, right? Not just female friendships, which I think, I think uh, not all of them. So not all romances are, have a lot of female friendship, but I think we see a lot more of female friendship in romance than we do of male friendship. I think there's a lot of series where like these three dudes are friends with this thing in common and they are the heroes of these three books. Yes, but you don't, for me, I don't see them being friends. I see them being business partners. I see them, anyway, what I think Martha Waters does really well is she doesn't just tell you that they're friends. You see them interacting. Yeah, that's fair. Very expanded friend group. I mean, it's, it's just so, it's just really nice. And I, it's something that I really believe too, because so many times when you read historical romance, the characters are, they're all very mature Mm -hmm. and it feels like they, they don't have the same kind of interactions or, or, or friendship interactions as, you know, the same people in their mid twenties would have today. But what Martha Waters does is she gives you the same things that we read about all the time. The house parties, the hunting parties, going to the theater, going to balls. But she has it. I feel like the friendships are very authentic. That's what I mean. Yeah, I do think friendship in romance novels, when it is depicted, is so often really supportive people who love you and act very sweet. Yeah. I'm not saying good friends don't do that, but let's be real. The people you're closest with, like, kind of make fun of you sometimes, <laughs> a lot of the time. And, like, I know there are different dynamics and everybody is interested in something else, but the reality is, like, people who know you well typically have moments where they're like, I'm not going to let you be self-sitting. I'm about to call you out on your shit. And I, I love sort of the very harsh take. Yes that Martha Waters has on friendship here. And I I mean that lovingly, like the scene where Violet in this book is like, we're just scheming too much lately. And Diana and Emily look at her like, bitch, you're the one who faked consumption. Right. We're scheming too much lately. She's like, I learned from the best. Okay. (laughs) Like not like actually being mean to each other, but like, all right, you're going to call me out. I'm going to call you out right back. Well, and I think maybe maybe that's what I mean by feeling authentic. Maybe these yeah. are friend maybe these are friend groups that I feel like I would be a part of. Mm-hmm. Good, no, right? And it's and it goes both ways too, because like his brother comes in and is making fun of him. Like, did you really get married? I have to see this for myself. While sort of trying to dance around. Yes. How are you going to talk to dad about this? Mm-hmm. And I just feel like so many books would. And I'm not saying this is wrong or bad or not other people's friendships would have had that scene be like a serious, I'm trying to find a way to talk to you about this, but we really need to talk about your feelings for dad. Yeah. Whereas this was a lot less pointed than that and a lot more interspersed with jokes. And I just felt like, I think you're right. It felt a lot more like the relationships I have. Yeah. All right. So this book starts at the house party where Diana and Jeremy from the last book got engaged. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, basically the house party's coming to an end and Julian's like, hey, Emily, we've been hanging out for the last couple of months while our friends figured out that they were in love. Idiots didn't realize it. Um, (laughs) I've come to esteem you for this role you can have in my life and I think I can offer you something you want. 
want to get married oh, and BT dubs. I know your parents and the guy they've basically been selling you to are going to be pissed. So let's just do it right now. And she gives about 20 seconds thought. And then she's like, I'm in. <laughs> she's like, sounds good to me. I'll do it. Let's do it. The alternative sounds like it sucks. Okay. The other thing I really liked is how like their siblings are integrated into their friend group. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do feel like this is something that happens like you grow up together, you're not, I'm not necessarily best friends with my brother, but we hang out a lot, you know, and then his friends become my friends and they all marry each other. And anyway, my brother did not marry any of my friends. I was going to say all of my friends who have stories about their brothers marrying their friends, like they are kind of inappropriate and I'm worried about those brothers. No, it's that, that's not what I mean. I mean, like his friends find people to marry and then we all become friends with each other. Yes. It's really what I meant. I like that one more. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. I just really like the feeling of extended friendship. Is that <laughs> extended friendship? Found no, family. that's totally. Yes. Right? Like, yes, it's a found family, but some of them are actually related to each other. Diana and her brother. I don't know if I got as much joy from them in the second book. I can't remember at this point because I mostly remember Diana and Jeremy. Love Diana and Penvale in this one. They were great. They're so good. They were so good in the first book. They're just great together. Oh, my God. Because it's so much the siblings who know each other, just rag on each other the time, but will be each other's biggest support as well. I just love the way he's like, stops her to be like, and she's like, what? You're slowing me down so bad. He's like, you look really pretty. And she went, you're going to make people cry. Let's move. <laughs> right? Oh, it was just so good. So much fun. Okay. But yeah, so they um, decide they're getting married. Uh, and then they have to go back to London. This is literally like chapter one. So, and the premise, I am spoiling. If you had the book jacket, you know everything I'm saying. Yes. And so this book is about them getting back to London, his pursuit for respectability and legitimizing his theater because he wants to make it on par with the actual respectable, like, places viewed as bastions of the arts that respectable people go. Mm-hmm. And she's got to navigate who she is when not her parents' lackey. Yeah. So anyway, I, I've I mentioned this already, but I think the structure of this book is just done so well. There are so many parallels in both of their relationships. Um, so yes, they have fraught relationships with their parents because they have issues with relationships with their parents. They bring those into their marriage. And then by working through the relationship with each other, they're able to work on their relationship with their parents. Uh, It's just really, really well done. I loved it. I really did too. And I think one of the things I enjoyed the most was how difficult they clearly both found to be vulnerable about the things that had controlled their self-perception for so long Mm -hmm. and in both cases in some ways it was their relationship with their parents her trying to please hers and him trying to like rebel against his yes and how like the fights they had were sort of about the other having a say in how they responded to their family and how their family treated them Mm-hmm. And I think it's really easy as a modern reader to be like, well, you're married, like figure this out. But this book did a really good job of reminding you that like they didn't know each other that well. Yes. So like they made the decision to get married in haste. Mm-hmm. And so they were having to come up with 
a total reframing of their self-perception and all of their relationship dynamics overnight. Mm-hmm. I think some historical novel, romance novels do a better job at that than others in like contextualizing for a modern reader. And I think this one did a great job. Absolutely. It, it really did make you feel like they were friends who decided to get married and were made attracted to each other. Weren't, which was fascinating. Like, yeah. It was, it, it, she, Anyway, Mark Waters is a great writer. Yes. I really enjoyed the experience of reading this book. It's a real page turner. It really is. I absolutely 100% agree with you. All right. I, I cannot think of anything that offended me in this book. Yeah, everywhere that any other author might have veered into a content warning... I mean, like, one of his actresses is basically abducted by a guy who's implies, like, real gross and evil, and... She's like, I ran off with him. He sucked. Didn't have money. Got rescued. I'm good. I'm back. Yep. Like, there's just even things that would have been so easy to make make angsty content warnings aren't. I I honestly can't think of anything where you'd be like, Same. well, be careful. I mean, I guess uh, dysfunctional families, right? But like, do you really need a content warning for that? No. It's also like there's a romance novel spectrum, and this book ain't on it. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not it, this is like. The litmus test, you know? <laughs> yep. Uh, All right. We talked a little bit about sexiness, but I think it's worth now getting into, like, how was the sex scene? It's one sex scene. It's really adorable. It is. It is. It does a lot for their relationship, and, like, you totally get... That they're really into each other and that they really have a connection. And even like the morning after, he's like afraid to reach for her because they still don't know each other really well. And I thought it was sexy, it was adorable, and it did a ton to build their dynamic. And which is I think because it was so good, that's also why there's this sense of disappointment that you don't get at least another one where they you read it and you see through how they interact. Through, through the sex scene, that they are now comfortable with each other, that they do love each other, that they have learned about each other. Yep. That's um, it was also very female gazy, which mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. I think even more notably than her last book. You know, her body is described as willowy and pretty. And his is described as like, sculpted Adonis, he took his shirt off, he got <laughs> out of bed, he put his robe on slowly, oogly, like. He's naked before she is in the sex scene, and that's not a thing. And I think that's very rare. Yeah, I agree even with in, you. Like, even in books clearly written for women, often by women, you know, the woman will get stripped down and he'll still be fully clothed because he wants to control himself. And so it still ends up being about, like, her body. hmm This was about her pleasure, but his body. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I will say that this fits what we've said about all of the books in the series, which is that it's it's Regency rom-com. Like, yes. it has that sort of rom-com level of sexuality. And so I understand why there's only the one scene, right? And again, this doesn't deviate from the first two in the series either. I think, right. honestly, it's the placement in the book. And the fact that there is a missed opportunity, as you say, from fully utilizing that marriage of convenience trope. Yes. But 
I mean, other than that, this book is, this book is just really, really good. Martha Waters is becoming one of my favorite authors at this point. She's just really, I know that I can depend on her to have a really well-written, funny, fun book. I highly recommend this if the idea of a historical rom-com appeals to you. Absolutely. So thank, thank you guys so much for listening. Jinx. <laughs>